Hello, welcome back to the Code of Honor podcast. My name is Kylie. This is my co-host, Kyle. And we have an interesting episode for you today. So before we get into it, we have a few news pieces to cover. Uh, Nothing too crazy, but it's all interesting. So I'm just going to run it down. So Sutton Singh made his in-ring debut. It was fine. It was cool. Nothing else really happened with him and Jay Lethal, but I imagine something will happen soon. Kyle had some excitement over some AEW elevation announcements. So if you want to get into that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say briefly about Sutton Singh's debut that I, he was, it was fine. <laughs> it was there. I, 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 you know, I, uh, he, I, you don't want to give him give away too much too soon with something like this, especially with somebody as as green as he is. And uh, regardless of anybody's personal opinions about the guy, Jay Lethal is been is a guy who's been around, who knows the business, and is a great guy to learn from. So, and and pairing him with Sanjay Dutt as well is going to be tremendous for how well Satnam Singh can learn that side of the business. So, the pairing's good. Uh, Lethal can do most of the heavy lifting. And we'll see what happens when he finally gets into some deep water, I guess. Um, Shifting to uh, Dark Elevation this week. I haven't seen anything announced for Dark, but I haven't paid super close attention. Uh, We got some announcements of some talent that will be appearing this week on Dark Elevation. Uh, uh, Three of them did not have any prior uh, Ring of Honor experience. Uh, Warhorse and Dan the Dad, two favorites of the independent scene, uh, will be making a tag team uh, appearance against uh, 2.0. They're still they're still going by 2.0, aren't they? Despite the name change, I think they're still 2.0. I think so. I haven't heard that they aren't. So fair enough. Uh, then that so that'll be a lot of fun. The 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 Dan the Dad character I, I think is a blast. Speaking as a nearly forty year old suburban dad myself, <laughs> I see entirely too much of me in that character. Uh, uh, and Warhorse, of course, is amazing. I if you go, if you go back to the original Ring of Honor and the Ring Crew Express and Dunn and Marcos, that whole you know eighties glam rock vibe that they pulled off, uh, you know I. I think there can definitely be a home for that kind of a niche act and Warhorse can bring it in the ring too. So, um, that's, so I, I think that's a great move there. Uh, the real excitement though came in the women's division where, uh, we announced that Heidi Howitzer will be appearing against, uh, in a match against Ruby Soho one-on-one, uh, Heidi Howitzer has been uh, a hot name on the North American independence. They've been doing great work there. Uh, Somebody that I'm super excited to see get a bigger platform and somebody that I think would instantly be uh, a major shakeup to a fledgling ROH women's division. I could absolutely see Heidi Howitzer coming into that division and just wrecking shop and could be a lot of fun because they had a really interesting dynamic. But speaking of coming into the ROH women's division and wrecking shop, let's talk about Max the Impaler. I'm really excited will... about Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, just going to say, there, there's something about them that reminds me of old Ring of Honor. Like that sort of, the, the way they wrestle and you so, sort of approach their matches. 
really reminds me of Ring of Honor. And I'm not saying I know whether or not Max the Impaler is going to Ring of Honor. But I do think that it's really interesting to see AW bringing in people like that. Uh, these not just like indie darlings, but these unique characters and these um, unique perspectives on wrestling. And I hope that we see these people in Ring of Honor moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, and Max is was such a great talent and such a great uh, departure from everybody else that was working in the ROH women's division before they went on hiatus. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly talented. Their look is so unique. Their presentation, uh, their moveset, the way they handle themselves in the ring. Uh, and oh my goodness, I, I am very excited about that possibility. Could you imagine Max in there against Mercedes Martinez? So good. And just the strikes and the violence and the, and uh, as, as our producer, James put on uh, the bottom of the screen there a little bit ago, uh, they're four and one in their ROH career. Uh, they were not particularly overexposed before the hiatus, but it was kind of a uh, occasional act you'd see. Uh, and the pairing with Amy Rose was a very interesting mm -hmm. dynamic as well. That could be a lot of fun to revisit. I don't, know that Amy Rose is doing a whole lot since uh, since the hiatus. I haven't really been paying super close attention there, admittedly. But bring Amy back, too, and let's get that act back together and have them run roughshod over the new women's division. Yeah, and I would argue that since Ring of Honor went on hiatus, Max the Impaler, uh, Max the Impaler's stock in the independent scene has really risen. Uh, and I think WrestleMania weekend, particularly... Um, uh, Effie's Big Gay Brunch and a couple other uh, shows that Max worked, I think there's a lot of fans who really are getting behind them. And I think there's a lot of fans who want to see that sort of representation in wrestling. And I'm really curious to see if Max is going to go back to Ring of Honor and pick up where they left off. If that's something Tony has planned, because we did get, of course, last week the announcement of death before dishonor or if max is going to work aw uh yeah i mean it's entirely and uh, loath as i am to admit it it's entirely possible that nothing comes of this appearance and you know i i don't like it either <laughs> but it is but we have to admit that it is a possibility that that may happen <laughs> it happens a lot uh, uh, I, I would not like that. You would not like that, but it is a possibility. Uh, that being said, uh, yeah, I am very entertained by the possibilities that they bring, to, that they offer to a new ROH women's division. Uh, and I don't believe I got to mention yet that Max's opponent for Dark Elevation this Wednesday, this Monday, in case you really needed a little bit more impetus to watch the show, it'll be Max the Impaler versus Nyla Rose in just a so much violence <laughs> there'd be so much violence in that match it's gonna be crazy it's basically who can out strong arm who who can hit who can hit the other person harder it's gonna be if you enjoy that type of wrestling this is the match for you it is gonna be a hoss fight and it is as as jr would say if he if he could avoid you know any weird sexist language or mispronouncing names uh it, two big old bulls just going at it so like yes 
I, I'm here for it. I love both of them. I think they're going to do incredible. Uh, it does, not to get off the topic too much, but it does remind me of poor Kylan King, who was an AW Dark uh, mainstay during the pandemic, did a lot of matches, and now is, is nowhere to be found on AW TV. I hope yeah. that they bring Kylan King back. I think Kylan King is a good fit in Ring of Honor. Kylan did an interview, I believe it was with Fightful, but if I'm wrong, someone can correct me. Uh, and talked about it and said that she thinks she's still on good terms with AW, um, but it's just sometimes these things don't always work out. So I hope that Dark uh, feeds into Ring of Honor the same way it does into Dynamite Rampage. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Kylan King is just such a such a great name uh to pull out here and it's and uh, she unfortunately stands as an example of a situation where it didn't quite work out and we and a lot of people wanted to see more of her and uh it didn't quite happen uh i know that uh, a couple of episodes of uh, episodes ago uh when we did our draft uh kylan king was on somebody's roster and i do not remember which one she wound up on but uh I know, I know, I know. Somebody drafted her, and were, and all of us were, were, were very jealous at the one who did. Um, let's see. I'm calling up the rosters now because uh, Haley got her. Haley, Haley got her <laughs> fairly early, and in, in the early third round, Haley got her, and yeah, we were all very jealous at that point. Like, oh, how did she get there? But. No, it's it just goes to show the the level of talent that's still floating around out there in the independent scene, and that this is something that ROH can really build around, male and female. So, be sure to watch Dark Elevation on Monday. Support these awesome performers, and uh, hope to see some of them in Ring of Honor, so we can keep talking about them. I definitely agree. Speaking of awesome performers, do you want to get into the meat of our episode today? You know what? Let's do that. It's been about 10 minutes. We've had some fun. We've talked about some current stuff. So let's do what I do best and talk about things that happened a long time ago. It happened uh, a long time ago, but I think it's super relevant today. It absolutely is. Uh, on the, And it's uh, something that we put on the Code of Honor podcast uh, Twitter feed at Code of Honor cast. Uh, our producer, Jameis, has been doing a tremendous job of mining uh, on this day type of things to sort of uh, keep everybody uh, abreast of ROH history and things that have happened in this company. Uh, on this day in 2004 uh, was a little show out of Dayton, Ohio, called World Title Classic. And the uh, pretty much the one match that anybody remembers, yes, thank you. It is, it is on this day when we're recording. It'll air tomorrow on the 13th. But... Um, when we're on the day we're recording this June 12th on this day in 2004 was Samoa Joe versus CM Punk number one at world title classic in a match that was not the main event, but is the only thing anyone remembers from this show. <laughs> yes. I went back and I looked at the card because you mentioned world title classic and I couldn't remember anything about this show. So I went back and I looked and there really is nothing noteworthy about this show except for Punk and Joe. And the Punk and Joe series, I think, 
really defined Ring of Honor and made Ring of Honor popular. And this match in particular showed, one, how talented these two were and that they could be trusted to lead the promotion moving forward. And two, it really showed what, you know, a 60-minute classic match, what a draw could be. Um, Absolutely. So I, I'm really curious, what when you first watched this match back in the day, I want to know what a young Kyle's mind was thinking. I mean, I was awestruck the first time I saw this match. Um, I had seen uh, Flair and Steamboat, for instance, mm -hmm. go 55 or whatever minutes in their, uh, in their two out of three falls match at Clash 6. I had seen Flair go 45 minutes with Sting. Um, I don't think I'd seen the TV time limit draw with Barry Windham yet, but you know, point was I'd seen Ric Flair and the NWA do these types of matches before. This was not a thing that WWE was doing, of course, mm -hmm. but I had seen I'd seen the concept. But it was it was different in the sense that this told a story in the way in a way that those I don't recall really doing, and it relied. While yes, Punk had his uh, had his strategy, and it did kind of revolve around rest holds, at least to a certain extent. It never the it never caused the time to drag for me, like in some cases it did with some of the older NWA stuff. And m make no mistake, I love that stuff. But there there there's a fine art to running a match this long without it feeling like you're trying to stretch it out this long. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think a lot of people do matches over, I'm going to say matches over 40 minutes just to say they did it because just to having that uh, in your records is sort of impressive anyway, regardless of how uh, high quality the match was. But to me, this match doesn't feel like 60 minutes at all. And the first no. time I watched it, I didn't believe that 60 minutes had passed because it was a time limit draw, of course. And, you know, the crowd, you know, chanted for more time and it didn't work out that way. But uh, it we'll really reminds that. me, it really reminds yeah. me if people need uh, sort of a modern comparison. If you think back to the time limit draw, sort of those, not just time limit draws, but the long matches of like an Omega Okada rivalry sort of the emotion, the psychology of that series. That's something you can find a lot of in the Joe Punk series and in this match too. It's just two guys who have their strategy and they have to adapt and change that strategy over the course of the match um, as they get tired and also as, you know, the other guy catches on and starts, you know, compensating for that. And like you mentioned, Punk, you know, he does a lot of headlocks and things, but also this match has a lot of striking. And they're both trying to wear each other down because – it's, you know, it's a title match of 60 minutes, but it's also, you know, you want to outlast the other guy. You, you don't want to get tired, but you want them to be so hurt that they can't hurt you. And it's just such an interesting push and pull in this match. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, the, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun because uh, when you go into the history behind how, you know, where both, where both performers were, uh, uh, coming into the match, you see something interesting uh, as well, where uh, Joe had already been champion for almost 450 days at this point. His title reign was already 
an absolutely insane length by North American standards. And I mean, he's beaten a who's who of independent wrestling. He's beaten AJ Styles. He's beaten Christopher Daniels, Paul London, Colt Cabana, Homicide, Doug Williams, BJ Whitmer, Jay Briscoe. Joe's beaten them all. Line them up and Joe's knocked them down. And so, uh, but this was Punk's first ever shot. And the headlock strategy was interesting just because of the fact that uh, prior to this match, uh, only one of Joe's title defenses had gone even over 20 minutes. Joe's entire title reign was predicated on hit hard, hit fast, and get out. So Punk would was probably within his rights as a performer to wonder, does this guy have the gas tank? I know I do because Punk's gone 60 against Chris Hero. Prior to this, he went 90 against Chris Hero at one point in one of the two out of three falls fat matches in IWA Mid-South. Uh, if you can still find a copy of the show, it's called When Hero Met Punk. The match is absolutely fantastic, and it absolutely still holds up. So uh, pocket that as a little reminder. Uh, but no, there's... Uh, at, Joe had never had rarely gone over 20 minutes, only once. Uh, most were even under the 15-minute mark. Like, Joe didn't have the tank to do this. So Punk was going to, okay, I'm going to stretch him out. And Joe did what Joe had done that had worked for over a year at this point, and that's, I'm just going to hit him as hard as I can at every available opportunity. Yeah, and um, I went back and I watched this match just to make sure I remembered it correctly because it was a long time ago. And that's something commentary even talked about. That Punk, you know, 20 minutes, that's normally when, you know, he's closing the shop and he's ready to go. He's ready for the match to end. He's ready to go home. So it was really interesting to see him push to this limit because 60 minutes is a long time for anyone. Uh, I guess maybe not a long time for CM Punk, but 60 minutes is a long time to be in a wrestling match. And some of the things they do in this match are just crazy. Like the amount of uh, cardio conditioning and the amount of strength required and also just the intelligence to carry a story for 60 minutes to me absolutely absolutely agree and uh no it was um yeah commentary did a great job of putting that over um but uh, and and punk's uh, strategy was generally good and it's a reason why uh, if you go, go into more of the trilogy, you see that it's something that he went back to at uh, Joe versus Punk 2 in the rematch, and that he went back to briefly in the third match at All-Star Extravaganza 2 as well, because it was there. But Punk's biggest mistake in this match was that he, can, he kept trying to rope-a-dope Joe and trying to convince him in, and trying to goad him into punching himself out. Which, as most observers will tell you, it's not a bad strategy, but you're the one getting punched. Yeah. <laughs> and Joe can hit very, very hard. And eventually you hit a point late in the match where Punk is struggling to keep his arms up. He's struggling to block those blows. And he's just absorbing Joe's wrath full force. And it made opportunities later in the match when he might have been able to get a couple of big moves in. Well, now you can't capitalize because you've emptied the tank, getting the daylights beaten out of you by the champion. Yeah, um, and I think that really plays into the finish of the match. But going back to Joe, he did some vicious-looking suplexes and throws and body slams and all sorts of things in this match. And it's really, 
you wouldn't expect someone like CM Punk, who at this time I would I would say that he was a lot smaller than he is now. Uh, not not that he was you know skinny or out of shape, but he was a lot smaller. And Joe was big, and he was especially big for you know being as athletic as he was. And the fact that CM Punk he lasted and he lasted, but Joe's working on his his legs, and he's really making it difficult for Punk to do you know his uh, what's his finisher called. The Pepsi plunge. The Pepsi plunge, yeah. And he's making it difficult for Punk to do uh, his strikes and sort of all these things that Punk has won with. And I think towards the end of the match, especially when we're at like maybe like the 40-minute, 50-minute mark, I think Punk starts to realize this. And like you said, he really let Joe, you know, beat him up. And it did work. It was a sound strategy, but like you got <laughs> you gotta, you to gotta mitigate that with something else, and he didn't. Yeah, and then, and that's just it. And and punk uh, and punk's big problem with the headlock strategy was always that you're not going to win with the headlock, no matter how well it's applied, no matter how long you hold it, you're not going to win with it. But the problem was that punk underestimated Joe's tank, and every time he got away from the headlock for too long, Joe came roaring back and turned the tide on him. You didn't have anything else to supplement that, and. You know, eventually it worked and Punk was able to put Joe down in the second half of the match with some strikes that he would have laughed off early. So in that sense, it worked. Yeah. But without something else to really uh, go back there, Punk can't leave the headlock long enough to do anything about it. Yeah, we, we saw um, sort of elements of this realization later on in the trilogy, which I think is what makes this trilogy so important is it's not necessarily three distinct matches it's like a series and that's what makes a really good trilogy is seeing things carry over uh and you really do get to see both punk and joe one evolve as performers and evolve as rivals over the course of this trilogy and it's always the second match that gets the most attention from people i think dave Meltzer gave it five stars and so now it's like hailed as this ultimate ring of honor classic but this first match without this match there is no trilogy and exactly. uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Uh, but over the course of this match, Joe was kind of like a sleeping giant. Like he was, he approached this, approached this match thinking that Punk wasn't a competitor for him. Uh, the same way he did everybody. It wasn't specifically Punk, but he had this air of confidence about him, almost arrogance. And Punk really came into this match to challenge that. And he wanted to be different from Joe's other opponents. And he wanted to be quicker uh, because he thought maybe Joe's not quick. And he wanted to uh, take all the expectations Joe had for him as a performer and turn them on their head. And he, I would say that he did. Um, the finish of this match, uh, I don't want to... Well, I guess I'll take the finish from Kyle. <laughs> but... Um, Basically, we get to like the 55, 56 minute mark and, you know, every everyone's getting antsy because the looming, you know, 60 minute time limit draw is there and crowds get nervous. Uh, but Punk does hit the Pepsi plunge. But like Kyle mentioned earlier, Joe's really worn him down at this point and they're both exhausted. But Punk's also this, this man is tired. He's gassed and he uh, he does the Pepsi plunge. But he has a lot of trouble making the cover. 
Um, his knees so are shot also he, because of Joe's legwork earlier yeah. in the match. Once he so, lands, so he can't capitalize. Joe strikes, yeah, Joe strikes and sort of uh, just his violence and his ruthlessness had taken out Punk's knees. And poor, poor Punk looked to be a shell of himself. He looked afraid. Um, but the finish of this match is really interesting. And I'm glad, like from a booking perspective, I'm glad they did this because it makes the next match seem more logical. Um, but basically, Punk, um, there's like less than a minute left. Punk goes for uh, a DDT, uh, but the he doesn't get the three count, which I don't know why he expected he would get the three count because it's Samoa Joe, but the time limit expires. The crowd's upset because they wanted a winner regardless of who it was. I mean, I would be upset too. They want a few more minutes, but, you know, it's Ring of Honor and that's not how things work. Uh, and then Homicide comes in and he attacks Joe and then... We, we don't know who won. We just we just don't know who the better wrestler is. Exactly. Well, and it's something that they they you've seen it done in time limit draws a lot where somebody crawls into a cover after hitting their big move. One, two bell rings for the time limit. You know, the, the champion is kind of saved by the bell in that sense. Um, we didn't get that here. Punk hits the Pepsi plunge. He can't. Mm -hmm cover right away. I don't believe he even gets a pinfall attempt off of it, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, he just goes, got a lace there. <laughs> goes back, goes back uh, gets a DDT, and is still not able to cover. He doesn't even get a pinfall attempt off the DDT, which I don't know if that was a conscious choice based on the Raven feud that Punk had just come off mm -hmm. shortly before this match, or if that was just I'm whatever move I can think of. I He's, you know, hard to say. But yeah, uh, the homicide run in uh, really put the kibosh on everything. Um, I do want to talk about one other thing that the homicide run in sort of ruined. And that's uh, in the pre-match uh, festivities, if you will. Uh, Les Thatcher came out to present a new Ring of Honor world title belt to Samoa Joe. This was just, uh, they, uh, they were commentary basically said this would replace the old Ring of Honor world title belt. Uh, it was, you know, there was, oddly, there wasn't really ever a good shot of it on, on, comp, on camera, which is an interesting choice. Uh, and after the match, as Punk and Joe uh, are both exhausted and the crowd wants five more minutes, Homicide hits the ring, as you said, mm -hmm. beats down both men and steals the belt and leaves. Now, what's fun about this, and uh, it's something that we'd love to try to figure out one of these days, maybe we can ask Carrie about it if we get an opportunity. Um, it was never mentioned again. <laughs> the belt was never mentioned again. It never appeared again. I don't believe a decent picture of the belt has ever even surfaced. It just vanished. And there's something just fun about that level of unsolved mystery. It's it's long-term storytelling. You know what? That's exactly <laughs> the kind of thing Tony Khan would be like, I have an idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going <laughs> to get the belt. <laughs> we're going to pull it from the archives and we're going to make a story out of it. Hey, maybe maybe next time, maybe when we do uh, Punk versus Joe and Ring of Honor again with the new version, then we'll bring that back again. <laughs> you know what, Tony Khan, if you're watching... Hire us to book Ring of Honor. But um, 
our, our, our producer says he has a clip of the finish. So if he wants to pull that up, I think the audience would love to see it. This is just incredible. Both men down, they can be counted out here before the title even elapses. This is just incredible. You know, I've, I've been thinking of... No, it's not just no, incredible. incredible. It's CM Punk and Samoa Joe. It's not over yet, though, Mark. We still have under a minute to go here. And neither man could get the pin in that time as they are slapping each other. I, I saw Ricky Steamboat win a match over Ric Flair at 59 minutes. And it could happen right here. We are under a minute, maybe about 30 seconds left as both men are slapping each other. And Buck scores Here's the, the DDT. Very Raven. Oh, he's got a two count. And then. And that's it. The 60 minutes have expired. Incredible. An absolutely incredible display of wrestling ability, of athleticism, of endurance, and most of all, of courage. What a world title match we just saw. The Ring of Honor world title means it all. CM Punk and Samoa Joe, an unbelievable effort from both men. And I am so proud that we had this match in an ROH ring. This was history. This was something special. And I'm glad we could all share it. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, by that point, uh, Chris, Gabe Sapolsky's alter ego, Chris Lovey, was, uh, he was a little excited. He was, uh, he was feeling it and, uh, you know, say what you will about Mark Nolte and his color was uh, hit or miss at times, but he had some real gems in this match as well. But uh, yeah, uh, it was such a, it was such a great finish because it really didn't give you the sense that either man really got saved by the bell. It was again, Joe kicking out of the DDT because of course he's going to kick out of the DDT. And then there, that was it. Like there wasn't a real anything. It wasn't Joe hit the muscle buster and almost got it or punk hit the Pepsi plunge and almost got it. It was just, that was it. The time ran out. And uh, so uh, it, you instantly set up uh, a situation where obviously you're going to need to have a rematch. Um, but yeah, it, it was such an amazing and necessary first chapter because this was something that fundamentally altered the trajectory of Samoa Joe's ROH world title reign. And it's rare that you can say that about something that's already been almost 450 days old at that point. You feel like the yeah. trick is pretty set, but this put him on a vastly different path. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and I also think it's worth mentioning that at this point in time for ring of honor, it was like make or break like ring of honor. Um, had an audience and the audience was kind of growing, but it was also like the, the future of ring of honor was really up in the air. So it was really important for Joe as champ to always show out for these matches. And it was really important for their, you know, deep and talented roster to have, you know, showings like this, these uh, not just 60 minute long matches, but also matches where the crowd is hot, where, you know, it's a classic where things are going to be replicated and take it elsewhere. 
um, and just to be pioneers of wrestling. So I think that pressure really uh, changed both of these guys, how they, you know, approach their own matches and themselves as wrestlers and performers. And we really saw the benefits of that in this match. It was really all or nothing. And it was, there was a lot of innovative stuff here. And that's part of um, what makes this trilogy so amazing. And this, you know, this one match, but this whole trilogy and also Ring of Honor in 2004. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. This is um, like, th- it, it was just such an amazing thing because even though he failed, it really felt like Punk found the answer. Yeah. And in in trying to wear down Joe, in taking him the distance in a way that no one ever had been able to before, um, but it also at lit Joe, like you said, show a different side of himself that said, oh no, this is not just a big a, a big hoss who can just brawl for 20 minutes and I, I don't want to say it that way because that implies that his, people are underestimating his style. Just that, that Joe proved that he had the gas tank, yeah. that he could absolutely do this. And that was something that was kind of a question mark in his reign at that point. Um, and beyond this point now, uh, his reign continued in a lot, a much along much the same trajectory in the sense that even outside of punk, very few people were still able to push him beyond that 20 to 25 minute range. Uh, he did go, uh, I want to say close to 40 uh, with Brian Danielson at Midnight Express reunion at, at that show later in 2004. But even still, very few people could had the capa- proof they had the capacity to do what punk did. And it meant that uh, this obviously punk was going to go back to the same strategy moving forward. There, uh, there you go. Like, um, look at Jameis being Johnny on the spot with the, with the time for it. But yeah, it was about 40 minutes that punk and dragon were the only two guys who could stretch mm-hmm. Joe that way. Whether that was just their capacity to absorb his offense or, being smart about trying to, you know, trade holds with him. You know, they were the only ones that could make it go. Um, and then we got the rematch in October and then the final match of the trilogy in December, uh, when, where Joe finally got the win once and for all. Uh, and it proved to be sort of the swan song of his title reign because at the next show was final battle 2004. And, you know, we all remember what happened there when Austin Aries shocked the world and ended the near the over 600 day reign of Samoa Joe. But uh, who knows how the rest of his title reign would have gone if it were not for the involvement of CM Punk. Yeah, I think this uh, this match really showed that Punk uh, could challenge Joe and that Joe could be pushed in this way that he wasn't this uh unbeatable giant or that he wasn't that his reign was going to last forever i think punk proved that he could be beaten and i think you leave this match with a sense that neither one of these men is better than the other i think you really leave this match wondering if they had gone five minutes more would punk have done it would punk have beaten joe because it certainly seemed like it was going that way And I think that's sort of the magic of the booking of this match. And as you mentioned, ultimately, uh, Joe did win the trilogy. And then I don't even want to mention Austin Aries, but that did happen. 
But <laughs> it, you could also wonder what would have happened if Punk had won the trilogy and then Punk had faced Austin Aries and what would have happened then. I think there's so many different scenarios with this, but ultimately Punk proved in this match that he is Joe's kryptonite. He's Joe's biggest rival. And I hope we see this match again some point in AW. They're both there. For the they're in the same promotion for the first time in a long time. And I think I think we deserve to see it. You know, I've gone back and forth on it myself. I, I feel like the trilogy was such a perfect, perfect thing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it is, is a complete whole unto itself that part of me almost wouldn't want to see any more because I don't know what more you say or do yeah. that it was such a perfect story i mean i would absolutely trust these two performers and these two men to come up with something because they're both so so good at what they do but um yeah yeah i i would absolutely love to see it again and yeah it it, it i love the way that you put it as uh, punk being joe's kryptonite that even though he didn't win the feud punk sort of provided the key in a sense, and uh, I loved what you what you saw uh, bubbling below the surface of Samoa Joe after uh, Joe versus Punk two in Chicago, where they went to another sixty minute draw, and and they cut dueling uh, backstage promos on the DVD release, which uh, basically where Punk's basically said, "I know I can beat you, but give me no time limit." I know I can beat you, basically. But the time limit keeps getting in the way. Give me no time limit. I'll figure it out. And Joe to hit, uh, basically sounded like he didn't want to give Punk another chance. And for a guy who prided himself on being the fighting champion that Joe did, to me, that promo always told a lot. It yeah. was Joe saying, the goal is to beat me, not survive me. And you can't do it. You don't get another shot. Like, since when is Joe even giving the illusion that he's ducking anybody? Yeah, and I think it really it speaks to CM Punk's rising star power and the credibility he had with the audience, with the Ring of Honor audience. I think uh, at the time, a lot of people really felt like CM Punk was the star of Ring of Honor, and he, they wanted to see more of Punk and Joe. And, you know, my disagreements with, the Austin Aries thing aside, they did get the Summer of Punk as our producer put up. Uh, and I think this trilogy, had this trilogy not happened, I don't think anything that we saw later with CM Punk would have had the same impact that it did. Because I think this is where CM Punk uh, really, one, made, made himself look, look like he's world champion material. Not that he, hadn't done, he had done anything in the past that would discredit him in that way. But I think he, they really, this really got people behind him as a performer. And they wanted to see him succeed because it was so interesting to see someone who is smaller than Joe and arguably doesn't wrestle vastly different from all these other competitors that Joe had. But there's something about him that really challenges Joe. And it's really interesting, the psychology behind this match. Oh, it was great. And uh uh, it, another way that it sort of, as I said, changed the trajectory of Joe's uh, title reign was 
this idea that, again, as I said, Joe had been championed at the, at the first match for almost 450 days, 448 to be specific. And if Joe just went out and dispatched Punk in 20, 25 minutes like he did, there was, at the time, I remember there being sort of a sense of, well, who's left? Joe's beaten everyone. And I think you start seeing diminishing returns on his title run from the second he beats Punk, which yeah. might, again, plays to a smart booking decision of the next show after he finally puts this guy in his rearview mirror, that's it. That's the end of the title reign. He finally did it, but, you know, that's the end. And you know, so that it, it made for a fun dynamic that way, too, of you've now put the hero on on a different path now where it's he's found somebody that he can't beat and what does that do to him and i thought it took joe to some fun places it took him to the yeah. place where after joe punk 2 he basically says no i don't want to fight you again you don't get another shot and <laughs> sorry okay he got me with that one that's good um <laughs> where you said you don't get another shot. And then the spot at uh, All-Star Extravaganza 2 in the third match where Joe uh, goes for a, a, you know, scoops and goes for a folding press pin and puts his feet on the ropes. Samoa Joe, the ultimate ring of honor guy, resorts to that because he's so desperate to put this guy in his rearview mirror. You know, that whole thing, it took Joe to some very interesting places. And I uh, I think if it's not for this match kicking, kickstarting all of that, like you said, we don't get to go to some of those interesting places. Yeah, I definitely feel like there was uh, this looming sense of Punk is so focused on, or Joe is so focused on beating Punk that it's almost like he's forgetting about working on himself and improving his abilities as a champion and sort of holding up this belt and his reign as his top priority because Here's Punk, who's like this annoying little gnat who's always there, always, you know, Joe hasn't beaten me. I'm like, all these people Joe's beaten and Joe hasn't beaten me. And he sort of becomes obsessed with protecting himself from CM Punk. And uh, he, uh, in the second match, which we don't have a lot of time to talk about the second match, but you definitely definitely see a lot of that, um, of Punk, of Joe being sort of disappointed in himself for not uh, beating Punk in 20 minutes or less as he had beaten everyone else. But I feel like he also, there's desperation there and confusion. Like he doesn't understand what's happening. And it's such an interesting thing to see in a champion that they're unsure of themselves for the first time ever. Yeah. And I love that dynamic of the second match being in Chicago and Joe yes. always being such an overwhelming favorite uh, to the RH crowd. And he got a, a decent amount of cheers in Chicago, but not a huge, but not overwhelmingly. So, but punk was the overwhelming favorite in Chicago. And I think you saw Joe struggle to deal with that a little bit. Yeah. And like, and that's so much fun and something that they didn't get to play with very often in ring of honor because Joe was such an overwhelming favorite of the people. Yeah. It's really sort of, I enjoy, I like when champions, undergo character changes and i like when champions are really tested in this way uh, and as much as i did enjoy up until this point i really did enjoy joe's just reign of terror of just beating all these guys uh it was i think it was very very important that they showed that he was beatable and that he was um capable of 
being anything other than this brute who just, you know, bashed people and threw them and did a suplex and won the match. Um, and I think Punk was the perfect opponent for that, given Punk's abilities, one on the mic in the ring and his relationship that Punk had with the crowd. Uh, I think there was no one who could have done this with Joe besides Punk. Absolutely agree. Brian Danielson was close in terms of ability, but he just didn't have the connection that Punk had. And I, and I say that as an enormous Danielson fan, but it, it's a different animal, a hundred percent. So, but uh, this match is available, as I've said, on the Ring of Honor YouTube channel. By all means, go and check it out. Please do. Uh, it will be amazing if you haven't seen it before. Uh, and the 60 minutes will fly by. Uh, it is, it is, I cannot recommend it enough. It is so, so good. And uh, absolutely check it out before, uh, before they go at it again. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. All my best to CM Punk. I hope he gets better soon. But this match is a classic, and I feel like it's an underrated classic. And it's for free on YouTube. Go watch it. And let us know your thoughts at Code of Honor Cast on Twitter. Just tweet at us. Let us know what you thought of this match. Absolutely. That being said, Kyle, where can the people find you? I got my Twitter feed right there. Uh, It is at Kyle K Sparks. Uh, I'm usually uh, live tweeting Rampage and Dynamite. Uh, I'm here every Monday at three o'clock for the Code of Honor cast uh, with with you. Um, I am writing periodically and doing news updates at Body Slam. I just wrote something up on Juice Robinson being stripped of the IWGP US title, so I would get Jameis off my back for, you know, <laughs> maybe not writing enough there. Um, but uh, uh, so that's about it, honestly. Um, I, anything that I am talking about or writing about uh, will be promoted on my page and we'll do it there. Um, I've got a pinned post on the top of this page of the top of my Twitter page that also has a bunch of my uh, features for what for wrestle in one of which is writing about the punk Joe trilogy. So absolutely go check that out um, and follow at code of honor cast. So you can uh, hear what's coming up on the show. Yep. You can follow me on Twitter at fuller underscore Kylie. I post everything I'm doing there. I also live tweet some stuff. I'm pretty picky about it, but uh, if you want to hear my thoughts on wrestling at Fuller underscore Kylie, uh, you can also see me here every Monday at three for the Code of Honor cast. You can also see me on Fightful Overbooked every Sunday at five. Uh, we're debuting a new show called Tag Talk. And it's all about tag team wrestling. We have some big, big, big plans for this show. Um, we're going to be doing match reviews, news, interviews, all the things, everything tag team wrestling on a platform it deserves. So go check that out. Um, what else? Oh, follow bodyslam.net on all the socials, uh, Twitter, YouTube, um, Facebook, uh, TikTok. If it's if it's a website, we're on it probably. Uh, bodyslam.net. There's a lot of awesome content creators there. You can also buy Bodyslam merchandise at PWTs. Uh, support us and all the awesome people at Bodyslam. And I think that's everything. Yeah, um, I will say that uh, I'll, I'll put another plug for your co-host on Tag Team, uh, the wonderful Haley, who if you were all were watching our ROH Women's Division draft a few weeks ago, Haley was on there with us. So if you appreciated her contributions there, you're also going to love her and Kylie's thoughts on the state of Tag Team Wrestling. So I'll be watching. Uh, definitely uh, you check it out as well. 
uh, bringing endorsement from Kyle, the wrestling historian. But yeah, uh, anything we're doing, we'll see you on Twitter. Uh, follow at Code of Honor Cast. Let us know your thoughts on Joe and Punk, this whole trilogy. I'm really curious to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>